First John, I want you to take your Bible and turn to First John, chapter number two. I've just preached through the book of First John. I went on and finished up, uh, preached the series on Second John and Third John. And I'll tell you what, I really did enjoy my study in First John. And um, it was very helpful to me as a, as a preacher. I think about the Apostle John at an, at an older age and everybody being able to come to him and hear his wisdom and gain his wisdom, being the, the elder, as the scripture referred to him as the oldest of the apostles that lived and outlived Paul. And so he was kind of the last one of those uh, that was around. And I tell you, from I'm getting older, I'm 52, I'm not old yet. I'm worn, but I ain't wore out, <laughs> you know. But I guess we all get there at a certain point in time. And, you, you know, and this sermon really spoke to my heart. This, well, this study really spoke to my heart. And I guess you might say this message, I'm going to interbreed, <laughs> if I can use that word. I don't know if that's what you use in a theological term. But I'm going to try to interbreed three or four messages this morning. And, but the main thought is overcoming the devil. The main thought is overcoming the devil. And um, as far as an outline, you know, the Scripture, I think from a doctrinal standpoint, how you're going to overcome the devil is the Scripture, submission, uh, there's a strength that you must exert, um, there's supplication and prayer, there is a steadfastness, and of course the main way to beat the devil, I think, is to know you're saved. And, of course, that's the outline this morning if you want to write that down. But, but I want to come from a different text than I would normally preach this sermon. So I don't, I don't know what's fixing to happen this morning. I'll just go ahead and warn you. But this is what the Lord has laid on my heart. And I hope that this message will be a strength to you and a help to you. So I'm kind of going back in my mind where I, I sat where you're sat. And kind of going back in my mind of others that may have sat next to me that are not in the ministry anymore. I don't want to necessarily call names, and let me stop for a minute. I think, is it Andrew McGowan? I want to say uh, Brother Barry. I was at a low point in my life, and Brother Barry McGowan was a great help and strength to me. He's very steadfast. He's a strong Christian, a strong saint. And I'll tell you what, he's been through tough times and has been solid through all of it. And I appreciate Brother Barry, and it's good to see his son here this morning. I want to mention that real quick, but there's others whom I went to school with are not in the ministry. Some of them aren't even in church. Their life is a wreck. They're not married anymore. You know, sometimes I tell you, it's a, it's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing when a preacher kind of gets sideways about something. When a preacher gets out of what God has called him to do, and I've, it's, it's, it's not fair. I'm going to just go ahead and tell you it's not fair, and life's not fair. But as a preacher, there's a lot of people that look up to you and respect you, your kids, your, your wife, and all these kind of things, and you get off on something and some little tangent, and you know all of a sudden you're going to be the bad guy. You know, you, you, your wife's going to get out there, and he's sorry, no good for nothing, hypocrite, and your kids ain't going to want to hang around. And I've seen a mess out there. I've seen a mess. And I hope that this message may give you a little bit of help and encouragement in this, in this area 
long run. I wanted a laser. I, I meant to bring a laser. And I think it would be a good illustration if the will of God, you know, I think that board there is probably too wide, the, the clock area, the, the display board. Probably a too wide of a will of God area, probably maybe condensing into just the time. And if I were to have a laser up here and say, okay, now the will of God for your life is probably going to be within those numbers. But this is what happens. And this is, and going, going way back from some guys that I would have called my brothers, some guys that I may have prayed with or preached for or the different things, there's something that happens. And, and way back here, you take a laser beam and you just move that laser beam a little bit here, right? But, but way off, all of a sudden that beam is way off the mark out here. So, so little things right now may not seem big to you, but later on down the road, those little things will become big things. And so that's why it's important to, to stick with the faith, to stay by the word. You know, somebody said, well, these kids today are soft, you know, and they're not like we are. Well, I'm going to tell you something. This world is a lot more difficult today than when I started. So if you're soft, you're going to have to figure something out. I mean, you're going to have to figure something out. I mean, we're, we're trying to figure out whether I'm even going to perform marriages anymore. <laughs> I'm coming up with this, how, how am I going to marry people with these laws that are being passed? I think, well, I'm going to just tell everybody I don't do weddings no more. <laughs> just stay out of it. What if, what if somebody really wants to genuinely get married? Well, I'll tell them, well, we'll go out there wherever you're at, and if I happen to be there, I'll say a few words or something. I'm going to come up with something. I will come up with something. Don't you worry. I mean, it's a, it's, if you're soft, you're going to have to toughen up. I mean, that's just the way it is. And don't be soft. Be strong in the Lord. Be compassionate, but you've got to stand on the Word. You know, you've got a lot of people pressuring you, wanting you to do a lot of things today, and ultimately, we've got to stay within the realm of the Word of God. We don't really have a choice, you know? We don't really have a choice in that. So, here in 1 John 2, and this, this passage of Scripture really spoke to my heart. So, I preached through this, and I, I would say out of all the texts that I preached from and studied last year, this is probably the one that stuck out the most to me last year. 1 John 2 says in verse 12, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. And this is where we want to focus today. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. And then he says it again. So he's saying it again. Why is he saying it again? Well, obviously there's an emphasis here. He's obviously stating it twice because he wants to reaffirm this fact. So he says, uh, let's see, in verse, start at verse 13. I write unto you, fathers, because I have, you have known him from that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And then again, I write unto you, little children. So he starts again. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I, write un- I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, and of course, this is where our focus is today. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome 
the wicked one. And so I want to preach to you for a little while on how to overcome the devil. How to overcome the devil. And let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we begin our message this morning. Now, Lord, we come to you with, I believe, a wonderful and powerful portion of the Word of God. I think it is something that is very revealing to each of us, and to every church, to every pastor, to every missionary, to every evangelist. There's something very unique that you're telling us in this text. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand it more clearly. I pray that the things and the greatest truths that would come out of this text would be so real to us and would be so helpful to us that we could carry this on and some of these young people could carry this on for the rest of their life. Lord, we pray that this message would be life-changing for each and every person here today. May it help us to run the race. May it help us to stay in the race. May it help us to stand before the Lord one day and hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, we'll thank you for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, and all God's people said, All right, now listen, here is something very interesting, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not big in the Greek. I study the Greek a little bit. So Greek professors, what have you, just bear with me a little bit. So I think it is very unique that our Lord has a message for the little children. I think it's very unique that our Lord has a message for the little children. It seems like the first little children speaks to maybe somebody who's spiritually a child. You may be 50, you just was born again, so in a spiritual sense, you're a child. So 1 John 2, 1 also indicates that. The second little children seems to indicate maybe a physical part of a child, that they're as a little child, that word's used in other parts of the Scripture is maybe someone who is, even in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, a child. So it, it, I think that we can talk about this in both ways, that there are three classes in the church. I think this is a natural progression for every pastor to consider, every missionary to consider, every evangelist can consider that there are three natural classes in the church. There's little children. And then the next one is fathers. He goes, now the fathers are kind of ho-hum and boring. He says the same thing twice. <laughs> you notice that? A little bit different about the little children, a little bit of a difference with the little children, a little bit of difference with the young men. And so, but when we, we come to the fathers, you know, you got another class. This is going to be perhaps your elders, your spiritually mature, maybe even in age as far as older, older guys. They're, they're not only old spiritually, but they're old physically. And so there is a picture here of a, another class. You got a little children, you got fathers, and then the last class is the young men. And the young men seems to be the one that's superior of these classes. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you're the young men. You're the young men. I had an old man say, you know, a church is like a tree. Uh, you've got the trunk, and that's your older people that give all the tithes and offerings. <laughs> so you don't want my, do not get your older people upset at you. Amen. That trunk of the tree is those older people. They're the ones that's going to kind of hang out. They got the finances, and they're, you know, in most cases, they're, they're the trunk of your tree. You got your younger people, those are your limbs, and you got your little children. There's your fruit. There's a great picture of the church. It takes all three. It takes all three. 
So you go out and you want to take a church somewhere. And uh, I have had this happen. You go at a church and at one point in my ministry, and this is, this is not a lie, you can ask my wife, I'd have about two churches every month calling me wanting me to uh, be the pastor. And sometimes I'd go preach for them just to, you know, just want to check it out. I didn't have no real intention. But you'd go in this church, and it was just old people. It was just the one class fathers. And what you have in that church is you got about a 10-year church. You got about a 10-year church. Well, you go to a church that maybe has some fathers, and they have some young men, but they don't have any children. You might have about a 30-year church. But if you can somehow be a part of a church that has the little children, the young men, and the fathers, all three classes, you can have a church that is fulfilling. It's a a church that's complete, you see? And that should be your goal as a pastor. I want a church that has all three classes. I want to see children. And and in order to make that happen, you got to have kids in mind, children in mind. you got to have the young men in mind, and you got to have the father. All three phases, all three classes of the church are very important. And it's a natural, it's a spiritual class. But I'm not here to talk about all those classes, but that spoke to my heart as a pastor that my focus has to be on all three groups. All three groups are just as important. But what I find here, and I'm 52 now, and I'm a little bit older, and I can't think like I always thought. I certainly can't see. I can see maybe the first row here, but everybody else is a blur, and I refuse to get glasses. (laughs) My wife is on me. Miss Dawn is on me. All the time, go get glasses. I said, I'm not getting glasses. I like being blind, I guess. I don't know. But everything's a blur, and I don't really care. (laughs) Matter of fact, it helps me because I told you yesterday I was an introvert, so if I can't see anybody, it helps me. (laughs) You know, I can't see nobody anyhow. If you're making faces or whatever you're doing, sleeping, clipping your nails, I don't even care. (laughs) Don't even care. So this, what I found is, you know, when I was in my 30s to 40s, boy, I had so much energy. I had so much energy back then, but I didn't maybe necessarily have the the support system back when I had the Now I'm a little older, and I got more wisdom, and I know more what to do, but I don't have all the, the energy and to get up and go like I used to have. I like to be in bed at 9 o'clock. Don't call me after 9 o'clock, I'm in bed. I'm winding down. That wasn't always like that. You know, and so there's a point in time, what I'm trying to tell you is I need you. You're the young men. I've got to have some vibrancy in my church. Why do you think all these old men are hanging around a Bible college? They go retire, play golf. I'll tell you why they're here. They like the young men. They like the young men. They like to see the energy. They like to see the zeal. They remember when they had it. And, they, and when what they're trying to do is they know, they wish they knew what, uh, they, they, what they know now when they was young. And so they're trying to give you everything they know to help you get on down the road a little bit. That's why they hang around here. They may be walking around here with a cane. They're still trying to tell you what the Bible says. (laughs) So why is that old guy still around here? Because he likes the young men. The young men is what he wants to be around. As a pastor, I don't think there's anything more exciting, uh, more joy in my heart to see some young man say, I'm selling out for God. 
and there's nothing more, nothing more than encourage a church to see its young people sell out for God. That trunk of the tree, see some young men in that church selling out for God. I'll tell you what, it just puts a little bit of zip in their step, you see. The young men, it's important. And you must, in, you must understand you're that young man. You, and it doesn't leave out the ladies. I think this just would be a part of your group. A young man can't be who he is without some dedicated Christian ladies, you know. And the young man, this is your class. This is your group. And what does he say about you? He says to you, I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, uh, young men, because ye are strong. The word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Well, that's interesting. You may look in the mirror and you may say, have I overcome the devil? You may be sitting right here this, this morning and say, have I overcome the devil? And I want to propose to you that I believe you have. I believe you have. Look around you. Look around you. I'm just, just, I stood out in this parking lot yesterday. I don't see no water park around here. Now, if y'all get a water park, I'm not necessarily saying I'm against that. (laughs) Might come up here more often. There's not a water park around here. Why are you here? There's no Olympic-sized swimming pool. Heaven help you if you had to come to this college in my day. At least y'all got a dating area back there. (laughs) We didn't have nothing. Not one thing. I ask myself a hundred times every single day, why did I go there? Why was I there? What was I thinking? We ask each other, what in the world was we thinking? I'm going to tell you, you overcame the wicked one is why you're there. You overcame the wicked one is why you're here. You, you can't even watch Andy Griffith. Y'all watch Andy Griffith? They couldn't when I was here. I don't know what's going on around here. It's getting liberal. Modernist. Hey, better not be no Andy Griffith on these walls around here. I did not come here for Andy Griffith. I did not come here for the Wheel of Fortune. They wouldn't even let us watch the college football on Saturday. We didn't have nothing. I don't know if, I hope, well, I hope you do watch football. <laughs> but my point is, there, there is, this is a little country college in the middle of nowhere. There's not, I don't even see a mountain. North Carolina is supposed to be, I look around, I don't even see a mountain. All I see is purple streetlights. What in the world is that about? <laughs> if everybody's going purple around here, we're going to have to have some t- talking, serious talking. I look around here, I don't see a beach. I don't see nothing that would draw you here outside of a Bible. If you're in this congregation studying the Word of God, unless your mom and dad handcuffed you and dropped you off and didn't give you any no money and they said, this is it for you, and that may have happened, I don't know. But if you came here with any kind of your own decision... 
and you came here with any decision that I'm open. Your mom and dad said, I want you to go here. Miss Dawn came here because her preacher and her mother said, try it out one year. And that may not have been your thing, but she said, okay. So she was at least a little bit agreement. And just look what she's got. <laughs> look what she's got. So it ain't all that bad. But she at least came here with the idea that I'm going to be open. I'm going to be open to the will of God. And coming here to this place with nothing to offer you, you have overcome the wicked one. You hear, you're here, you've overcome him. You have not fell into his vices. You're not out there on the street getting drunk. You're not out there smoking dope. You're not out there shooting up heroin like half the world is right now. You're not out there running around. You're in a place that everything the devil offered you, you said no to and you're here. You're a part of the young men. You've overcome the devil. You've, you've got a strong foundation. You've got a strong standing. You've got all the, all the future is headed, headed in your way, and you're going the right direction. Everything. And so I think about how the devil's tried maybe to get the liquor, and the devil's tried to get the drugs, and the devil's tried all that that he gets most young people with, and you've said no to it. Whatever the reason was, because you're raising, because of the church, because of a... Uh, an experience in your life, you've, you've turned from that and you've went forward. And I need you. As I feel like I'm getting into the fathers, I'm, I'm not, not going to claim I'm quite to the father yet. Father's position. But as an, an older man understanding that uh, I've gone up the hill and now I'm coming back down. <laughs> I need you. I need your zeal. I need your vibrancy. I need your stand. I need you to preach the word of God. I need you not to be worried about what the world thinks, but only what God thinks. I need you to have a stand like no other stand. You have overcome him. I need you. The church needs you. There's churches all over this, this country right now. People say, we need preachers. We need pastors. We need people to fill these positions. I need you. Other pastors need you. Congregations need you. And the decision, decision making that you're doing right now is something that gives this world hope. It's something that we look around and say, we want this place to be a place if we need a young man to take over the church, we're going to call Dr. Beal and say, send us a man. Send us a young man. And we want that young man to be able to stand true. We, we don't want to have any doubts. We don't want to have any concerns. We're going to want to say we've put a, a stamp on him and I will guarantee you he's going to do it. He's going to do you a good job. Young man, we need you. The church needs you. John's saying this is a part, and, and it seems like that this young man's a little superior, you know, and so you've overcome him. So what's the devil going to do? He couldn't get you with liquor. He couldn't get you with drugs. He couldn't get you with sexual things. You said no to all that. So what does he do? He comes for your mind. He comes for your mind. If he can get you off track somewhere in your thinking. You know, I've been around 
cars, I guess, since I was 13. My dad was in cars. I was in cars. I like cars. I'm restoring a 1965 Fastback right now. I'm, I'm a car guy. I've worked on cars. I've took motors out, transmissions, turned every nut and bolt on a car. So there's this young guy out here, young man, out in the parking lot. Can't get his belt to stay on his car. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Never. Usually if a belt goes bad or a pulley goes bad, it'll start squealing. And there's warning signs. There's no warning signs on this guy's car. It just keeps popping off, popping off. Put it back on, it just pops off. Why? devil don't want to drive that car. Does the devil want to drive his car? <laughs> no, the devil don't want to drive his car. But what he wants to do is he wants him to quit. Here he is, surrendered everything, surrendered his life, coming to a Bible college that don't have nothing to offer. No swimming pools, no water parks, no beaches, no nothing. And he's here, gave it all up, and now he can't keep a belt on his lousy car. He wants your mind. He wants you to start thinking that God don't love you and God don't care about you. And that, and that devil is at work out in that parking lot. And here I am, worked on cars all my life, and I said, good luck. <laughs> What to call someone that knows more about it than I do, and they ain't too mean, know more about it than I do. They fixed it. Praise God. Everybody said amen. God got the victory yesterday eventually, way in the midnight of the hour. You know, some little girl comes by one of you preacher boys. Oh, I love you. You're the greatest thing since biscuits and honey. I've never seen anything like you. You're the greatest thing. Next week, she's done with you. The devil don't care about your relationship. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get you to quit. He's trying to keep, keep you up at night thinking about what some woman does. Amen. You're going to stay up two or three days, and then you're going to start failing tests, and then they're going to mark X's all over everything, and then they're going to say, hey, maybe you need to go home and think about what you're doing. And, and it's, it's just some little thing. The devil will come for your mind. He don't care about your relationship. He cares about your mind. Oh, he'll, and I've seen this. I know guys right now that <clears throat> sat in our same classes. Some of them even hold a diploma. They get off on, get this laser beam over here and whoop, just tweak a little bit on the uh, inerrancy of Scripture. Oh, goodness. You believe the Bible's the Word of God? I've talked to them. They said, when I was in college, do you believe the Bible's the Word of God? I said, I believe everything. Now, back in down south where I come from, we believe the Bible is the word of God. And we even believe the coat covers. It says, Holy Bible. <laughs> That's where I come from. And so we got a lot of grit about it. And we got a lot of, you know, strength about it. So you come to me saying, is the Bible really the word of God? Yeah, I'm going to get rake you over the coals. Of course, it's the word of God. There's never been a doubt in my mind whether it's the Word of God. Matter of fact, you come to me and doubt whether or not the Bible is the Word of God, you can't be my friend. I'm putting you over here somewhere because I don't want to be around you. I don't want to hang around you. I don't want to shake your hand. I don't want to pray with you. I'm staying on a straight path. You know the best way to fight the devil? Don't get in the ring with him. Don't get in the ring with him. That's the best way to fight. Because if you do, you're going to lose. You don't have the ability. 
You can't go to him toe to toe. You don't have the sequence down good enough to knock him out and knock him down. Even Michael the archangel said, I, I won't even bring a railing accusation against him. The Lord rebuke him. The best way to fight him is don't even get him. I'm not associating with somebody that doesn't believe the Bible's the word of God. Now, you, you get here, and you're in a religious environment, and there's all kinds of questions, there's all, and I understand all that, but at the end of the day, I believe the Bible, you see. I believe it, and you're not going to change my mind, don't I? I don't care what you read. I don't care who your daddy is. I don't, I don't care who your mama is. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. And you start hanging around this group that doesn't really believe the Bible is inerrant, and does not believe in the inerrance of Scripture, you're going to get way off. They get off on the inerrance of Scripture. Next thing they get off on is drinking. Next, let me say that again. Next thing they get off is drinking. You know what I heard the other day? I ain't even going to get to my sermon today, am I, brother? I heard one of the greatest problems in churches now, in the generic term churches, not just talking about Baptists, but in a generic term as a whole across the country, one of the greatest problems in the churches across America today is preachers drink. What? Well, I'm not going to drink. Well, I hope you don't. But see, this little professor somewhere is going to tell you he knows something about the Greek or knows more about the Hebrew than you do. He's going to say, well, Jesus turned the water into wine. Isn't he? You probably done heard it, haven't you? Well, Jesus turned the water into wine. It's a one, wine is wine, blah, 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 yada, 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 bozo to clowns, what I say. There's only, is there only one wine in the Bible? When the butler had his dream, what did he do? He took the cup, squeezed the grapes into the glass, gave it to Pharaoh. That would be wine. Was that fermented? Was that fermented? Was that fermented? There's obviously more than one wine. So whatever that bozo the clown said, I just, that's out the window. Gone. That's water under the bridge. That's in the Gulf of Mexico by now. Quit thinking about that. Don't hang out with him. Don't associate with him. Put an X across his name and say he's a deceiver. Boom. <laughs> I just, that just happened. You get out there, the devil wants your mind. Oh, just take a little drink. Do you know that one in four people that start drinking can't get off of it? If you, if you, can't, pick, if you can't put it down, don't pick it up. And most of them can't. You think the Lord's going to be for that? Now, I got a whole series of sermons on wine. The predominant way, I'll go ahead and tell you this because I think you need it, Predominant way to harvest the grape in Israel. And the harvest was in August. And the summers in, in, in Israel is over 100 degrees. It's got to be 50 to 75 for the fermentation process to work. Scientifically, Jesus turned the water into wine would probably not be plausible at all. So they put the grapes on the press. The first wine that come out without anybody stepping on it, the first grape juice that would come out, they called it new wine or sweet wine. Without anybody stepping on it, it was the sweetest, it was the best. And then when they began to step on it, that was a different type of wine. And then some, maybe the latter end parts, it was, was called a different one. 
And in order to preserve the grape that was the Bible said was to be a blessing and it was to be something wonderful, they boiled it. Do you know that? That was the predominant way to preserve the grape, to boil it down to a third of the consistency. They would take the grape consistency, it was like paste, like a jelly, and then they would put it in the new wineskins. And those new wineskins of grapes, of grape juice, of grape concentrate, could last up to five years. Guys would ride the ships, go to the markets, buy these wineskins of grapes, and they, would, they said you added three parts water to one part juice, and it came back and tasted just like it did in the harvest. So when Jesus comes to town, he's got to, some people say it was up to 140 gallons of water, but they had no wine. What did they mean? Well, somebody, did, probably, maybe they were poor, didn't have enough money to go down to the market to buy the wineskins, didn't have the money, they go get the wineskins, they add the paste into the water, and there you got the wine. So the guy says, this tastes like the best, which would have been the first that came off in the harvest time, and this was strange to him. It wasn't because what they think today, you know, well, this wine is sat up and fermented, and it's the best. <laughs> no, it was the best because it was the fresh, it was the best, it was the f- first fruits of the harvest. This was the most wonderful part of it. Now you got, you know, Dr. Bottle Stuffer's going to tell you, no, we can drink a little bit. And I, I would like to talk to the, who's the Greek guy around here? Raise your hand. Oh, Hanky. <laughs> Listen. You tell me. I don't know. You're the Greek guy. Paroinos. To the pastor. To the pastor. It doesn't say oinos. It says paroinos. The qualifications of a pastor. Paroinos. Now, the way I understand it, don't even be around it. When he says don't be given to it, it's paroinoinous there, don't even be around it. If it's there, don't be around it. If it's strong drink, don't be around it. You're not even supposed to go near it. So anybody that says it's all right to do a little bit, they obviously don't know their Greek, do they? Now, if I understand it correctly, I'm not a Greek scholar. So what's the devil do? He wants your mind. He wants your mind. If I can get him to drink. I, he, he, he didn't take the drink in his younger years and the strong drink in the liquor. So I'm going to come back at his mind. I'm going to try to get him off track. And, and I'm here to tell you, I need you. I need you uh, to be faithful. And I need you to be strong. And, and, and liberalism is going to come around. He's going to try to take your mind of liberalism. He's going to take your mind with modernism. You know, I've had several young men that wouldn't go to Bible college because they had a full ride to university. The devil got their mind. They got their mind. And you know what? The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 2, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, Paul said. Don't be shaken in mind. Uh, the Bible says in Luke 12, 29, neither be ye of a doubtful mind. Mark 5, 15, when the man who was demon-possessed got saved, he was clothed and in his right mind. Mind. The prodigal son, when he got down into the far country, and I don't know how far the far country was, but it was that far back. (laughs) You remember that. But he went down to the far country. He was down there in the hog pen and the muck and the mire. He spent all his money. And the Bible says when he came to himself, 
The devil had his mind. I don't know what happened at the father's house. I don't know what was going on down there at home. He should have stayed home. He should have stayed in God's will. He should have stayed where the Lord wanted him. But something happened to his mind. Something happened to his mind. The devil started tweaking with his mind, started messing with his mind. The devil wants your mind. You're going to be able to serve God when you completely give God your mind and you quit worrying about what some liberal says. You quit worrying about what some modernist says. You keep quit worrying about what some atheist says somewhere. You serve God with your mind. You may not understand it all, but you're set. You're solid. You're going with the Lord. No matter what anybody says, your mind mind and heart is fixed on God, you see. And I need you, and this church needs, the church needs you, and this school needs you. And so, you know, we don't have time to preach the sermon, but the scripture is your greatest weapon. There's not a great, it's the Lord, well, the Bible talked about the Lord, the Bible says that out of his mouth goeth a, sh- a sword. Isn't that interesting? Out of his mouth goeth a sword. That's what comes out of our mouth is the sword of the word of God, feeding on the word of God. In the temptation when Christ was tempted of the devil, the Bible says Christ said each and every time it is written, there's going to be times in your life, just as Christ said on the third temptation, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) Amen. You may have to tell a friend, get thee behind me, Satan. Somebody's trying to get you off track on some strange doctrine, some false doctrine, something that's going to take you out. I've seen, I've seen them here. They get off mixed up in something crazy, something weird, something strange. Next thing you know, their, their, their wife's left them. They're divorced, and, and their, their life is a mess. They're no longer in the ministry. And what we want to do is we want to go the long haul, you see. We want to go all the way, all the way to the end of the good Lord. Puts his hand on my shoulder. That's where I want to go. Says it's time to come on home. The word of God. The word have I hid in my heart that I will not sin against thee. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. And let me say this. I was a, for some reason, they thought that I should be a dorm supervisor here when I was here. And... uh, I think it, I might have been in my senior year. And I'll be honest, I was not the best Greek student. So I know a little bit about it, and that's it. So I don't claim to be a part of that. I took two years, and I, I did pass barely. But I passed. I don't know if it was one of them no-child-left-behind deals or not. <laughs> might have been. It might have been. I'm not saying it was or wasn't. What just wasn't my cup of tea, but now I'm not against it. Don't understand. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. So I had these two guys that was either freshmen or sophomores. Was arguing, and he was going toe to toe. I think they was fixing to fight, which I like to see a good fight every now and then. You know? <laughs> Let them go for a few rounds, and then well, y'all need to calm this down. <laughs> they fixing to go toe to toe. I'm talking. So they come run over there. What are you thinking? They said some Greek word, some text somewhere. And I was like, <laughs> you come to me for the Greek answer to this. But I had, I'll be honest with you, I had no clue what the answer was. But this is what I said. 
I said, uh, let me ask you guys something, because this is what I was big on. I said, let me ask you guys something. I said, have y'all ever read the Bible through? <laughs> I just threw them a curveball. They didn't see it was coming. They didn't see it. I said, have y'all ever read the Bible through? Well, I thought they would have said yes. But do you know both of them said no? They were at Bible college. I think it was their second year. They never read the Bible through. Oh, I'm starting to meddle now, ain't I? Am I meddling? Am I getting on the toes? <laughs> Ain't we having us a time this morning? I'm talking, I said, have you read the Bible through? Have you read it from Genesis to Revelation? Have you read it? And they said, no, no, we have not read it. I said, why don't you boys read the context before you over the, argue over the context, and if you haven't read that Bible through at least five times, you don't have no right to argue with anybody about anything. Read the Bible through from cover to cover every year. Commit to it. I mean, at, at the least, read it through once a year. At the least. And I'll tell you what, it's your most valuable Listen, now you can get over here arguing about this and arguing about that, but there is something to just sitting down and spending time with God and in His Word and knowing what the Bible says. Amen. You know? And so, read the context. Be, what, what does James say? How do I overcome the devil? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And what will the devil do? The Bible says the devil will flee from you. You submit yourself to God. You resist Him. Our strength, Paul said this. He said, there's been a thorn in the flesh. He said, I've asked for three times for a thorn in the flesh to, to, get a, to, to, uh, this, to, to be taken away from me. And there seems to be, for the minister, a constant battle. There seems to be a constant battle where the Satan comes and tries to get you to quit, and we are likened to soldiers on a battlefield, bullets flying, bombs blowing up, planes firing overhead. I'm talking about you're getting in the thick of it, and that's why Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. That's not just a vacation Bible school theme. It's something that each and every one of you need to be fully aware of. You get out there in the field fighting without a shield, you're going down, friend. You get out there in the field without a sword, you'll go down. You must have a certain amount of strength about you as a soldier. There's the prayer, the supplication. Peter, there's a lack of prayer there before the crucifixion, failed to pray, and what happened? He failed. When he failed to pray, he failed. But later on, he picked himself back up, and there in the upper room, while they were praying, he got back, <laughs> he got back to doing some praying. You don't know what to do, you better be praying about it. Spend a lot of time. Spend as much time as you can. I know you're busy. I know things are going on. But take time out to sit down and say, Lord, I need you to do certain things in my life and help me. I can remember, I can remember a time in my life where I had all kind of things going on during the week. I had all kind of things going on in my mind. And I knew that I had to go to the pulpit on Sunday. I had nothing. I had nothing. I had nothing but trouble on my mind. I had nothing but turmoil on my mind. I had nothing but grief on my mind. And I remember sitting down late Saturday night, and I said, Lord, I want to preach tomorrow. <laughs> huh? I don't know if you've ever been there, but, Lord, I want to preach tomorrow. And there in the wee hours of the night, the Lord gave me a little something. 
wasn't much. I admit, probably should have studied a whole lot more than I did, but I just had a little bit of something. I did what they call winged it. <laughs> Do not make a habit of that. But I got up there, and I preached my heart out, and I said, Lord, I want to do the right thing. I want to preach the right thing. I want to have the right thing going on. And I prayed. I spent more time in prayer than I did studying. I'll be honest with you. I, didn't, I just didn't have it in me. And I got up there and preached. And I bet I had five, six people come to me that day and said, Preacher, that was the best sermon you've ever preached. That was the best sermon you've ever preached. Just stick with it. You don't know what to do. Start praying. I don't, I, I don't believe, I've never believed that I was important enough for the devil to attack me. But he sure does have a lot of demons out there. I want to encourage you that the Bible says, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That will help you overcome the devil in your life. And the last thing this morning is you got to know you're saved. Now, let me finish by saying they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, preacher, listen to me. I'm done. But I want to ask you something. Revelation 12, 11, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Preacher, do you have a testimony? You're going to need a testimony. You say this, I remember. I remember when I got saved. There's no doubt in my mind. I know I'm a Christian. You've got to know that. I don't know who you are, where you're from, and I know y'all get the gospel here all the time, but do you know you have a testimony? The greatest source of overcoming Satan is knowing that you know that you know that you're saved. You've got to know you're saved. You've got to know that your faith is in Christ. You've got to know that there's a time in your life where you, you said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Take my heart. I put my faith. I put my trust in you. Do you know that, young lady? Do you know that, young man? you know that, professor? Do you, do all that are here, do you know the Lord as your personal Savior today? It's the greatest truth. In over, don't you discount your testimony. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. A testimony. Now, I know I said I was done, but you preachers, and I shared this to the class, but you preachers got a sermon. Somebody asks you to preach, don't you say you don't have anything. You got a testimony. Do you have a testimony? If you do, you got a sermon. You get up there and you read John 3.16, you tell everybody how you got born again and how they can. Don't you ever shy away from an opportunity. Don't you ever say, I don't have anything. You got something if you got saved. You've got something if you have faith in Christ. You've got something if you've got a word of God. You say, well, what text should I preach from on my testimony? It don't matter. It all works. <laughs> Every one of them will work. And praise God they do. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. I pray that the messages that yesterday and today that we preached, I've prayed that this would be a help and encouragement for all in who have come here, I pray that they would have accepted these messages and sermons with an open heart and an open mind. I know these messages have helped me, and just like they've helped me, I pray that it would help your people. In Jesus' name, amen.